Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and St. Mark chapter 9 as well. And we will begin reading there in that particular uh, chapter 9, verse 1 in St. Mark, and also Zechariah, the first scripture. Uh, Zechariah 9, verse 9. <clears throat> Amen. And you have that right before you, uh, if you have not gotten it yet. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, and having salvation lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt the foal of an ass. Praise God. Hallelujah on this morning. For your consideration this morning, my title is found in this particular verse here in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. And here in St. Mark chapter 11, we will be reading those particular verses there, uh, verses 1 through verses 6. And then we will, we will backtrack on that. St. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, why do you do this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt, tied by the door without in a place where the two ways met. And they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let him go. Mm. Hallelujah. Here in this particular passage of uh, this chapter of St. Saint, Saint Mark chapter 11, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. And he has been there at the, on the Mount of Olives many times before. He has even been to the city of Jerusalem many times before as well. But this time, on this particular day, when Jesus begins to descend from the Mount of Olives on this day, something supernatural would be taking place. He would be setting into motion uh, a certain events that will climax with his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. So these events here this morning that we're going to be reading from, uh, they took place on Sunday, March the 30th in the year A.D. 33. And these events place before the Jewish Passover. And as we well know, before the sun sets the next Friday, that Jesus will have been crucified and buried. But glory be to God, and I'm getting a little ahead of the story here, and Pastor Dora will pick that up on next week. But before the sun rises on the next Sunday morning, Jesus will have conquered death, hell of the grave, by being resurrected from the dead. Glory be to God. So now, people of God, up to this point in, in, the, in the, excuse me, 
the ministry of Jesus, he had always told his disciples to keep quiet about his identity. Many times when he healed people, he would just tell them to go their way and, and to keep quiet about what happened. But now we see a, a change in the Lord's strategy. Now, now, I want you to follow me here now, and it, because on this day, Jesus now begins to draw attention to himself. Why is that so, you may say, and you may ask, because he is about to fulfill an ancient prophecy. And he does it because he is about to present himself to the nation of Israel as their king. That ancient prophecy we read here is in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Now I want us to listen here to Mark's uh, account of the Lord in action. And through this account here in chapter 11 of St. Mark, we are allowed to get a glimpse and to catch a glimpse of the glory of the Lord. Now I want you to imagine this scene, if you will, on this morning. It's early in the morning, Sunday morning, 30th of March, AD 33, and Jesus is preparing to go to Jerusalem. And now the population of Jerusalem, uh, it would have been three times its normal uh, number, but due to the influx of people that had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, there were multitudes of thousands and multitudes of millions of people that were now gathered in the city. And the people came in expectation, in anticipation. They were expecting God to do something while they were there. I believe that us as people of God, every time we, we, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, we too, we heard in the praise reports, we just need to expect God to do something every day that he sends our way. And as always the case, even here, God did not disappoint those people that were in anticipation and honor and earnest expectation of what he was going to do. And in fact, the Lord, he was doing his greatest work of all during this particular Passover season. But most people would miss that altogether. But Jesus, he chose this particular moment to reveal himself to the nation of Israel. Here we are here again, uh, chapter 11. Uh, verse 1 and the A portion of that verse. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem, and now the B portion, unto Bethpage and Bethany. Well, Bethpage means house of unripe figs. Bethany means house of dates. And when you look at it geographically, uh, Bethany is located two and a half miles outside of Jerusalem. Jesus passed through these two towns. He had passed through Bethpage and Bethany uh, on his way to wherever he was going many times before. And in fact, Jesus had some very dear friends here 
in this town of Bethany, if you remember, and if you recall, I'm not going to say if you remember because I'm sure you remember, but if you recall, uh, he had dear friends there in Bethany, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, with whom he stayed uh, even up until the last, his last days on earth. And in fact, Jesus had performed one of his most outstanding miracles when he raised his good friend Lazarus from the dead. Right there in Bethany. Verse 1 in the sea portion at the Mount of Olives. Now the Mount of Olives, if you will, was 2,600 feet above sea level. And here is Jesus standing there on the Mount of Olives. And he's looking out uh, over Jerusalem because the Mount of Olives offered him a commanding view of the city below. And again, Jesus was preparing to descend down into the city below. But from the top of this mountain, Jesus could see the city that was spread out before him. The deep portion of verse 1 says, Jesus says, And he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never a man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, why do you do this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him. Now, notice something here. So now, which two disciples went after the donkey? Which two disciples did Jesus designate and then send to perform and accomplish that particular task? Think about it. Well, the Bible really doesn't tell us that. But I believe it does not matter, and this was done specifically, because I believe it doesn't matter who does what as long as the Lord is glorified. Hallelujah. Yeah, I just wonder now, because these two men are human. I just wonder if they complained about their assignment, because after all, they were human. If it had been one of us, conversation probably would have gone something like this. Can you believe this? After all I've done for him, Jesus picked us for this dirty assignment to go get a donkey and bring it to him? But I think there's something here that, 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 that even most people in reading this scripture, in reading this account would miss. You see, these two disciples, they didn't realize that they were instruments that Jesus was using to fulfill his prophecy. Uh, do we realize today that we too are instruments that Jesus is using to fulfill his prophecy? You see, these two disciples, they were doing something far bigger than they could ever see. Mom died, she said, Pastor, she said, Brother Pastor, we're doing judgment work. Do you understand, people of God, that we are doing judgment work in this earth? We have been set apart, called out 
sanctified, consecrated and, consecrated and ordained by God for his purpose and his purpose only. I really wonder sometimes if the people of God, uh, uh, <coughs> that, that, that you too, you two are doing something far greater than you can see. Have you ever thought about that? Things become so, so uh, uh, if you will, uh, uh, hackneyed and, and they become the same in our lives on a daily basis that so many times we do things and go through the motions without even realizing that we're doing things. But I want to encourage all of you today, people of God, and tell you that the Lord is yet working behind the scenes on your behalf right now, even as we speak. Glory be to God. So the Bible says that the Lord has need of him. That's what Jesus said to these two men to go. And they say, what you need this for? You tell them that the Lord have need of him. Now, why in the world would the creator of all things have need of anything? Because even Jesus, as you note here, he called himself Lord. He said, you go tell them the Lord have need of him. Now, I just believe that that is a statement and a declaration of the Lord's authority and power. You tell them the Lord. Hallelujah. Let me take a moment to remind you that he is yet Lord today. Amen. He is even more Lord than he was there when he was having this conversation when these events took place on 30 March AD 33. That he, that today here we are on April the 14th, 2019. He is yet Lord of all today. And because of that, he yet possesses all authority. Whether men recognize him and bow to him or not. But I want to say today that there will come a day when all will bow to him. There will come a day when all of us will bow. Every knee every, every, uh -huh, uh, shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Well, if you are under, within the proximity of my voice on today, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, why not do it today when bowing to Jesus can result in your salvation? Hallelujah. Now, look at this statement in verse 3 again. The Lord hath need of him. That in itself is an amazing statement. And again, I ask, when did the Lord ever need anything? You see, but that really was a paradox of our Lord's earthly life. For the Bible says he was rich, yet he became poor. The Bible says that he owned all things, yet he possessed nothing. He created the stars, yet he had nowhere to lay his own head. And he fashioned everything there is out of nothing except his spoken word. Glory be to God. Yet he had to borrow a boat from which to preach his gospel. He created every drop of water that exists in the world. Yet he cried out when he was hanging on the cross, I thirst. He created every tree, but yet he died on a borrowed cross. He created every rock. In every stone, but Joseph of Arimathea had to borrow a tomb 
in which to bury him. Jesus, he used the clouds as his chariots. Yet, he had to borrow a donkey on which to ride? Well, to me, people of God, to me, this is a paradox of his life. He was rich. Yet, he made himself poor so that those who believe on him might enjoy his riches. The Lord needed that donkey to fulfill his mission here on earth. Now, don't you find that amazing? Jesus is God, and he could have done this any way that he chose to do it, but he chose to use that little donkey. And by the way, people of God, he is still using those he chooses to get his work done on the earth even today. You see, he uses people like you and he uses people like me. He could have even assigned that task to the angels. But he chooses to work through human instruments like you and I. And people of God, I don't know about you, but I am glad, so glad that he can use people like you and that he can use people like me. Now, let me just mention a few important facts about this donkey before we have to leave him behind. Did you hear that play on words? You didn't get it there a little bit, did you? Now, that donkey had to be redeemed. <laughs> that little donkey was alive and useful to the Lord because it had been redeemed by the blood of a lamb. You can read that and say, well, I don't believe, I don't know that that's particularly scriptural, Pastor. But Exodus chapter 13, verse 13, and also Exodus chapter 34, verse 20, read that scripture when you get it. When you get home and you have some time to do that. But praise God, that is why I have life today. Because I have been redeemed, not by the blood of a lamb, but by the blood of the lamb. Glory be to God. And truth be told, that's the only reason that you and I have any usefulness to the Lord today. And I thank God for Jesus and for the redeeming power of his blood. Glory be to God. So now, that donkey had to be redeemed, but the donkey also had to be released. It was bound up, but it had to be set free before the Lord could use it. And praise the Lord on this morning. I'm free, no longer bound, no more chains holding me. My soul is resting. It's such a blessing. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm free. And if the Son has set you free, people of God, you too are free indeed. Does anybody in here this morning know what I'm talking about? Well, bless the name of the Lord. So not only did that donkey have to be redeemed, not only did, did that donkey have to be released, but that donkey also had to be ruled, R-U-L-E-D. Somebody had to take charge over that donkey. And here in verse 2, it tells us that the donkey had never been broken to ride. Yet it submitted to the Lord and yielded to his control. And if you have ever seen horses, wild horses or donkeys, even when they've been broken, they take exception to anybody riding them. That donkey was not frightened by the crowd or their noise when Jesus rode him into Jerusalem. Why? Because it had surrendered itself 
totally to the Lord. And you know what? Jesus expects the same thing from us people of God. Custin, have you surrendered all to Jesus? Have you surrendered all to Jesus? Because Jesus is looking for total surrender. Think about this. The Lord could save sinners and accomplish his will on the earth just fine without us. But yet again, he chooses to use us human instruments for his glory and for his purpose. But it is only people of God, when we have been redeemed, released, and ruled, will he be able to use us too, submitting ourselves to the Lord, to his lordship. Now notice something here in verse 6. In verse here, the phrase, and straightway he will send him hither, means that the Lord will send the donkey right back as soon as he is finished with him. In other words, Jesus tells his disciples to tell the owner of this donkey that he will return their property as soon as he is through with it. So when that donkey got back, people of God, it was better off than when it left. Glory be to God. Whenever we step out for Jesus, we're going to be better off than we were before we chose not to. When it left, that donkey was unbroken and it was untried. But when it came home, it was ready for a saddle. And you know what? That's just the way the Lord works. It's just what he does. He takes what we give him, and when he gives it back, it's always far better than it was when he got it. Put it in the Lord's hands. Deacon always says, it's better when the Lord does it. It's cheaper when the Lord does it. So just give it to him. Don't you bear it? And bless God when he gives it back to you. Oh, hallelujah. Now look at verses 7 through 10. 7 through 10. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him. And he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way. And others cut down branches off the trees and straw them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So the disciples now, they go and they get this donkey. And then they return to Jesus and they put their outer garments over the beast in place of a saddle. Now, Jesus climbs up on the donkey's back, and he starts his descent down the mountain. And the fact that this animal Jesus is riding is a miracle in itself. Psalm 8, verse 6 through 8 tells us that Jesus has dominion over all creation. He had dominion not only over, over that donkey, but everything else in this earth, including you and I. Now, as I said earlier, Jesus is fulfilling this ancient prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Now, if you will, imagine this parade. Imagine this procession. Here is Jesus on this donkey, and he's surrounded by throngs of people, and the people are waving these palm branches and not swords at him. 
He's sitting on old worn coats and not a saddle. He's riding this little donkey. He's not riding a mighty stallion. And he's surrounded by this ragtag group of disciples, most of whom smelled like fish. Yeah, he wasn't escorted by, by, by strong and well-trained soldiers. You see, the Roman soldiers who, 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 who saw Jesus coming saw him riding on this donkey. Uh, they must have laughed at this man who would be king of the Jews. But little did they know that this little procession with Jesus leading the parade was just the beginning. Now, if you will, just, just use your imagination right now, if you will. And just, just, just with your, your spiritual eye, just look at this crowd. Who do you think is there in that crowd of people waving their palm branches before Jesus and paving the roads with their clothing? Well, I would imagine that Bartimaeus is there, and I would imagine that Zacchaeus is there too. I would also imagine that Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead, is there too, along with Mary and Martha. And I'm sure the crowd was full of people who Jesus had healed, delivered, set free, and ministered to as well. And they were all praising him. And something else, I see all of you, including I in that parade too. He said, well, wait a minute, that was 30 A.D., that was March the 30th, A.D. 33, excuse me. Well, you know, it's a mighty long parade that we're talking about by now. And this parade is yet continuing to march. And that parade is marching off to Zion, which is eternity. That beautiful city of God with the Lord Jesus in the lead. Glory be to God. And those who know him are still praising his name and worshiping him. Those who became poor so that he, we might become rich in him. You see, these people that were praising God and yelling Hosanna and hallelujah to him were doing something called antiphonal singing. Antiphonal singing. So what does that mean, Pastor? It means that the people at the front of the parade would say one part and the people in the back of the parade would answer them back. If I say, I say, uh, uh, what you think about Jesus in the front? And everybody in the back would say, well, he's all right. Or if I said to you up front here in the back, what's the matter with Jesus? And the answer's going to come back up front. Of it. What's the matter with Jesus? That's what you call antiphonal singing, okay? Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. So the people in the front, yeah, they were having a good time. People in the back were having a good time. <laughs> Glory be to God. Now, as we read, you had to be there. You had to be there to really get it, huh? All right. In verses 9 and verses 10, it tells us that the crowd of people who followed Jesus cried out saying, Hosanna, which means save now. It was a cry for the Messiah to deliver his people and it was also used at a shout, much like the word hallelujah. So, now let me say that as long as the Lord saves sinners and leaves his saints on this earth, 
There will always be people to praise him. And I pray that you will be one of them people of God. Why? Because he is worthy to be praised. In fact, we have been commanded to praise the Lord. In fact, even more than that, we have every reason to praise God. Do we not? Amen. Well, we got a reason to praise God. I'm one of those that don't want the rocks to do what I'm capable of doing all by myself. And I say shame on any saint of God who can't find the words, the courage, or the reasons to praise God. Yeah. For after all, Jesus is still the, the lofty one. So lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Hallelujah. Jesus, he is yet worthy to be praised in this world and especially in this church. Hallelujah. Mark doesn't mention this, but when you read in the book of Luke, chapter 19, verse 41 through verse 44, it says, as Jesus neared the city, he saw Jerusalem and he saw its future. Now Jesus wept over what he saw and he will, he, he, in what he would see in years to come. He knew the Romans would conquer the city and that many of the residents of Jerusalem would die and that the temple and the city would be utterly destroyed. That's why Jesus was weeping. He knew all these things and more. And Jesus was weeping over this town. So get this image in your mind, if you will, people of God. Here the people are shouting, dancing, and singing. They are praising God and the Lord Jesus, and they are excited, and they're, they're just crying out uh, with vocal excitement. For Jesus, however, is a man that's looking out at them with a broken heart because he knows that Israel will not receive him. He knows that they're going to reject him and crucify him just five days later. But he also knows that Jerusalem now one day would be slated for judgment. And in the midst of all this jubilation, Jesus weeps. Have you ever wondered what Jesus sees when he looks at our towns? We see, we see people who are good-hearted, but who don't care anything about the Lord. We see people with whom we get irritated on a daily basis, do we not? We see prospects out there for our church. We see friends and neighbors and saints and sinners. But what, if you will allow me to ask the question, does Jesus see? I believe Jesus sees people who are suffering and Jesus sees people who are lost. Jesus sees people who will ultimately go to the lake if they don't give their lives to him. And oh, how we need to see the people of our towns just like Jesus sees them. When we do, we too perhaps will weep over them like Jesus wept over Jerusalem. When we weep as he, as he wept, we will be more motivated to take the gospel to those that don't know the Lord. And the last thing Jesus did on that Palm Sunday was to visit the temple. He took the time, as it says here in verse 11, to look round about upon all things. 
He saw the beauty of all the buildings. He saw the gold and the silver and all the trappings of quote unquote religion. He saw it all. But if you are perceptive as you read this here, you will notice that they, those people, did not see him. He saw them, but they did not see him. They saw him, at least they saw him with his physical body, but they did not see him, the real him. You see, the king of glory had entered the temple, and these people didn't even know that he was there. The Lord of glory had visited his own house, and they were ignorant of his presence. That's why I believe we should never just be able to sit here stoic and, and, and without emotion when we come together as people of God. That's why I termed our Sunday morning services as a Sunday morning worship celebration. We should be thanking and praising God for all that he has brought us through, for all that he's doing even here in our midst and what he is about to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was in his house. They were ignorant of the fact that he was right there among them of his presence. He saw that they had no place for him in their temple, so Jesus just got up and left. Here's another question. What does Jesus see when he comes to our church? Think about that. What does he see? He's here right now. But what does he see? Does he see people that have come seeking him? Or does he see people just going through the motions? Does he see people who are worshiping him and praising him? Or does he see people just caught up in the rituals? Well, it's Sunday morning. You know, I just got to go and I do this and do that and all of that. What does he see in this church today, people of God? But wait a minute, let me rephrase that. But more importantly, let me rephrase it and, 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 and ask it this way. What does Jesus see in your heart? Does he see his face reflected back to him when he looks into your heart? Does he see a heart that's filled with love for him? Does he see an earnest worshiper? Just what does the Lord see here today? But again, let me, let me rephrase, let me back up on that one too. More importantly, do you see him, people of God? He's here right now. But is he being worshipped? Is the king being acknowledged by you in every area of your life on a daily basis no matter where you are? Does the radiant light of God's love shine out of your innermost being and reflect his goodness and his mercy and his grace to all of those whom you come in contact with? Well, in the scripture that our opening foundation scripture from Zechariah uh, chapter 9 verse 9, Zechariah told Israel to be ready. And he said it this way. He said, thy king cometh unto thee. The Lord is here today. 
Are you, you ready to receive the more of him? Will you receive the more of him? He is here today to restore. He is here today to refresh those that are weary. He is here today to reward those that are faithful to him. He is here to revive those who are hungry for more. He is here for you and you and you and you and all of us today. But the question is, what will you do with him? Will you bow before him or will you send him away? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like to support this ministry, consider giving online. Text keyword RWOLFC to 77977 or through our free app. Search RWOLFC in the App Store. For more information, visit www.rwolfc.com for articles, blog posts, message references, and our monthly calendar of events.